You're listening to the Mountains and Mustard Seeds podcast, your instigator for conversations on the Christian faith, the Bible, and how we can apply it to our lives. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Mountains and Mustard Seeds podcast. Thanks for bearing with me this week as I got over being sick and sounded a bit like a frog. So (laughs) didn't think you wanted to hear that, and um, I needed a time to rest. So I hope you've been able to catch up on other podcasts, um, either mine or other ones that you love to listen to in the meantime. Um, I also kind of originally scrapped... I actually scrapped the entire first take of this episode when I recorded it. Um, yeah, I the more I thought about it and the more I prayed over the content of this, I just realized that I needed to take more time to think about it and kind of really just let it rest in uh, my brain and my heart. And I'm hoping that today is really what God wants me to say to you guys. So know that anytime I record something, or anytime I put out a podcast, I take really seriously what I'm talking about, and I don't ever want to lead people astray or misinterpret scripture or present content that really isn't up to the quality of which I think it should be. And so I appreciate you bearing with me as I sorted through that this week along with being sick. And yeah, I just, like I said, I pray that this content today is really what God wants me to say and wants you to hear. And I've been encouraged, even as I've worked through it myself, that I've learned things in the process and have a deeper understanding of what it means. So without further ado, today we are talking about the phrase freedom in Christ. And it was really refreshing to experience that myself this week when I realized I don't have to put out a podcast every Monday just because that's what I've been doing. So um, total side note. But yeah, so we're talking about freedom in Christ today, and I'll read a bunch of different scripture, but I kind of want to set it up for you guys first. Um, Based on what I understand, freedom in Christ is a complicated phrase to walk through because it's very nuanced in each of our lives. And so I'm going to try to do my best to explain the phrase and explain kind of the applications in our own lives. But just know that this is maybe a bit more complicated and nuanced and might require more conversations with people in your life and might require more processing and time and maybe it's even something that we come back to and revisit. I think I love I love that about having conversations is that they are in process and they allow us to continue working things out together in the context of a faith community. So I just invite you to invite other people into this conversation in your life and maybe even ask other people, other Christians, what they think freedom in Christ means. So one of the one of the commentaries that I was reading during the time I was digging through scripture says, freedom in scripture is not a license to sin, but expresses itself in devotion to what is good. And I think that that is, while there's not really a good definition for the phrase, I think that might be a really good thing that we can kind of hang our hat on throughout the entirety of this conversation is that it, freedom in Christ is not an ex, a license to sin, but rather it expresses itself, freedom in Christ expresses itself in devotion to what is good. And 
a lot of the passages that we'll be talking about and reading today talk a lot about the law, which anytime we reference the law, we're talking about kind of all of the Old Testament law summed up into the laws that the Jewish people knew to follow to be a good Jew and to know God. It was their way of understanding that this is how they knew God. And when we talk about sin, sin is anything that misses the mark of God's perfection or falls short of his glory and of his perfection. So just a couple definitions that we can have a starting place from. Paul talks a lot in Romans about being free from the control of sin, free from the control of the law, and and that there's basically another way to live. And so I would I would say that Paul is arguing that compared to what the Jewish people knew at the time, Christ was radically inviting them into almost this new spiritual reality that was completely foreign to them. It's completely foreign to us. And I think a lot of times we tend to fall into one of two categories. As Christians, we either are a slave to sin in that we are constantly tempted. We're in this vicious cycle of sin and shame, and we just can't seem to escape it. Or maybe we have a sin that we keep returning to or just kind of a, a repetitive behavior in our lives or a thought process or an attitude that just kind of seems to follow us wherever we go in life. That would be a slave to sin. The other category we may fall into as Christians is being a slave to the law. And I would interpret this or think of this as constantly trying to prove yourself by doing good things or um, following the rules or serving or really doing things that you think of, you know, when you think of kind of the ultimate Christian example, it's like you're constantly striving for that. And that would be categorized as living as a slave to the law. And there could be another category um, that I would say being a slave to shame or hiding. But I think that that almost kind of bridges the two categories. And, and as we, as you think about it in your own life as a Christian, you probably go back and forth between these categories, and sometimes one might even be a response to the other. So in my own life, I have seen that sometimes I get caught in a sin-shame cycle. Um, I experienced this a lot growing up with sexual sin, and the only way that I knew how to break out of that was to go do something that made myself feel good, like serving at church or reading my Bible or almost almost like paying penance in a way, like, oh, I feel really bad about my sin. And so in order to make myself feel better or to appease, you know, this kind of guilt in my conscience about it, I am going to go do quote unquote good things for God. And so you may you may experience that yourself is that you kind of bounce back and forth between being a slave to sin and a slave to righteousness. And then in the midst of that where there's a lot of there's a lot of hiding for us and shame um, prevents us from sharing that with other people or bringing that into the light. And so when Paul talks about this in Romans, um, I think that those are kind of two helpful perspectives to think about as we work through the scriptures. Those are kind of two camps that I feel like I have, as I've worked through this and processed it, I think that those are the exact opposite of what freedom in Christ is. And in order to really understand what freedom in Christ is for ourselves, I think we first have to understand what freedom in Christ is not. 
And so, so being a slave to sin, being a slave to the law, they go hand in hand, but I think they work themselves out differently in our lives. And those hopefully are, are good, helpful explanations of this as we dive into some of the scriptures and start reading together. So it's not as, it's not as cut and dry or it's not as black and white in scripture as specific examples where ta- Paul talks about being a slave to sin versus a slave to the law. However, I have found that there are some passages that tend to talk more about one or the other. And so we're going to start off reading some passages where Paul talks about what it means to be a slave to sin and how we are no longer a slave to sin because we have this newfound freedom in Christ. So I will be reading Romans 6, and there's a lot here, so bear with me. Crack open your Bibles yourselves, and please feel free to reread this for yourself, as I had to reread it myself various times. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? It's a great question. (laughs) Do you not know all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's first a helpful hint towards what freedom in Christ is, that is, that is this, this newness of life that Jesus invites us into the moment that we accept Christ. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, there's the scripture that talks about us having new life in Christ. We know that our old self was crucified in him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have been have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you haven't listened to it yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast where we talk about justification and sanctification, because I believe that that actually plays a really big role in freedom in Christ, especially in the essence that it it is a process of understanding and continuing to live into being set free. And it's not like the switch that happens in our lives. It's it's a switch that um, just kind of like with justification, it's true the moment we accept Christ, that we have been set free from the effects and the control of law and sin. However, it takes time for us to learn and to understand and to walk in that reality. And I want to give you a, a beautiful metaphor that actually my mom shared with me when I was really young. She always talked about making this into a children's book, and I still think she should because it's so powerful. So credit to Mama Wallace for this analogy. So imagine um, a poor peasant girl, and you probably need to put yourself into a medieval time for this metaphor, this analogy to work out, but imagine there's this poor little peasant girl who has grown up living on the streets. She was abandoned from a young age, and all she knows is In order to stay alive, I have to steal, cheat, and lie. And that is her world. That is her reality. The rules for her world are stealing, cheating, and lying. And she is controlled or compelled by those rules in order that she can exist. Then one day, the king of this noble town in which she lives on the streets is walking along and he he spies her kind of in an alleyway curled up trying to t- trying to get some sleep. And he goes over to her and realizes that she is an orphan and tells, you know, his entourage that he would like to bring her into the palace to live with him. So the king adopts her and brings her in and they, you know, kind of clean her up and get her into some fresh clothes and compared to what she's known her whole life, She's lived in filth and squalor, and she's smelled, and she's scrapped together remnants of clothing that she's been able to find on the streets. So even from the get-go, being clean is new. Having clean clothes is new. And then she's in this beautiful, extravagant, luxurious palace that is greater than anything she could have ever imagined in her life. Um So she is invited into a new world, a new reality, where things look different, but the rules are also different for her existence now, too. She no longer has to lie, cheat, and steal to survive because she is lavished upon and everything that she needs is provided by the king. However, she's not used to this new reality yet. Even though she knows that she's been adopted and the king is going to keep her in his house and raise her as his own daughter, she's not used to this. And so when she goes to bed at night, she doesn't sleep in this luxurious, fluffy, silk-laden bed. She curls herself up in the corner against the wall because that's what she's used to. And she steals you know she'll steal a roll at dinner time and put it in her pocket for later because that's all she's known and so similarly if you think about our own lives before we knew the lord 
before we became a Christian, we too are like that little orphan girl who all we have known to survive or to exist are certain rules or certain realities. And that is this is sin and the law. That in order to make it through this life, we either need to sin, uh, maybe to meet some of our own needs, or we are completely beholden to the law because we believe that's what will save us or will eventually provide us salvation. But when Christ invites us into his family and God adopts us, we are invited into a completely new reality where the rules are different and even the definition of who we are has changed, that we are no longer these little orphan children who have to steal, cheat, and lie, but we are daughters and sons of the king who is going to provide everything that we need and has rewritten the rules of our life. So hopefully that is a helpful metaphor. I love metaphors. If you listen to me long enough, I will use all of them when I'm talking about spiritual things. And I think it's just helpful because the spiritual reality is so, it's unseen. We see the effects of it in our lives, but it's, I think it's really powerful to put physical metaphors to spiritual truths just because it helps us to understand them and cement them into our brains. Another place in scripture where we see the idea of being slave to sin is Jesus himself talking with the disciples. And that this passage is John 8 verses 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus is reinforcing this this doctrine that Paul talks about in Romans where if you are if you are practicing sin you are a slave to sin and if Jesus has set us free then what basically what he's saying is it's it's a sure thing you don't need to worry about me reneging on my offer to set you free it is a done deal it has been sealed with his blood and you can guarantee that your life now can look different than it's looked in the past Going back to the metaphor of the little orphan girl, this takes time for us. It's not this instantaneous thing. It kind of goes hand in hand with the sanctification process in our lives. That as we learn this new reality and as we step more into this identity of God's child, we realize we don't have to sin anymore. Someone once described sin as an illegitimate way to meet legitimate needs and I think that that is such a helpful definition of sin too. We talk, you know, we talk about missing the mark of God's perfection, and while that's theologically accurate, it's not always helpful for us in our own lives because, just like that little orphan girl, we might be sinning because we're trying to meet legitimate needs that we have. However, those means 
are now illegitimate in God's kingdom because he has given us other ways to meet those needs. And part of being a Christian is figuring out what are my needs in my own life and what are the ways that God says he can meet those needs in my life, that I'm no longer having to strive to, to meet those needs on my own, but I'm invited into this kingdom, this this lifestyle where I'm no longer having to fend for myself, but I have a God who is looking out for me and who is willing to provide and longs to longs to be a part of that process with us. And so I think for each of us that that will look different um, based on what your sin struggle is and based on what your needs are. But maybe that's a really good application point for this for this topic is when you think about certain sin patterns in your life, whether that is lying or falling into sexual sin or putting on putting on a good face, what is the underlying need that you are trying to meet through that sin? And once you identify that underlying need, realize that it's legitimate and God wants to meet that need for you. So once you identify your need, invite God into that and pray and and say, God, I realize that I I need the approval of other people or I feel like I need to be valued or I just feel really lonely and I'm trying to make myself feel better or fill in the blank. And then invite God into that and ask him what he thinks about you and ask him for wisdom to understand how he can meet those needs in your life. So if we look at the other reality that we oftentimes live in, being a slave to the law, another it's another counter way of living that is not like freedom in Christ. There's a lot of, of scriptural references that talk about this too. And Paul even talks about it in Romans. Uh, and he also talks about it when he talks to the Galatians, to the church in Galatia. Uh, so Galatians is chock full of verses. I'm just going to read a couple of them today, but I'm going to start with Romans. Uh, it's one of my favorite verses ever, and I've probably already read it in previous podcasts, but it just is, it's so good. So we're going to read it probably 10 more times by the time I'm done with this podcast. But so again, we're talking about why we no longer have to be slaves to the law because of our freedom in Christ. This is Romans 8, and I'm going to start in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit." And I love, love, love Romans 8.1. I oftentimes talked about getting it tattooed somewhere on my body. So I would remember this because all too often I worry about the approval of man. And I worry about how my actions come across or um, feel, feel the pressure to maybe do what other people think I should do or the pressure of different societal expectations. And so... Um, the fear of man or the approval of man has been a really big struggle in my own life. And Romans 8.1 is so counter to that, that it's just been really helpful for me. So I love the way that the message puts this. The message is another version of the Bible, 
often scholars often say that it's more of a paraphrase. It's not an exact translation. However, I really enjoy reading it because I think it it puts different phrases and verbiage to the scripture that just kind of brings it to life a little bit more and actually helps to understand it. So I'm going to read that version as well. This is Romans 8. With the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of deep healing of it. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. So I love the way that Eugene puts it. He uses just beautiful, powerful imagery there of talking about, you know, like the light and the dark and the Spirit clearing away the cloud of doom. And then also rehashing what Paul is saying Because we have freedom in Christ, we are no longer bound to the law because we are not responsible for our righteousness. Christ has done that for us once and for all on the cross. And I love that it also says, like, the law was useless to do that anyway because we messed it up. And it was never going to achieve us our salvation because it was was so marred by human nature and because it was so marred by our sin. And so... When I think about my own patterns of falling back to needing to prove my worth or needing to show someone that I'm worthy by the things that I do or how good I can be, it's really refreshing to be reminded that I'm no longer held to this standard and there's no there's no condemnation for me because I have this freedom in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer held up to the standard of the law. I don't have to jump through these hoops. I don't have to prove myself. I don't have to show people that I'm worthy by my deeds. That's not, that's not the point at all. So we're also going to read in Galatians. Galatians 5, 1 through 6 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's that language again. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. So in this passage specifically, Paul is calling out circumcision because it was a part of the law that the Jews thought in order to be a good Jew and in order to be closer to God, you had to be circumcised. And so these were these were Messianic Jews. They were people that had a Jewish heritage, Jewish culture, Jewish background, and they were accepting Christ as the Messiah. So for them, it was really hard because they were confusing all of what they had known from the Old Testament, and they were accepting Christ, 
but they needed to have their reality reworked as well because to them, what they believed in order to obtain righteousness or obtain good favor with God was abiding 100% by the law from the Old Testament. And so when it came to circumcision, Paul was saying, no, 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 no. Like you're still hung up on trying to fulfill the law in your own life. And if you're doing that, then what do you need Christ for? Because Christ came to fulfill the law completely. And so we basically get to say, hey, Christ fulfilled it for us. I get to take his righteousness, claim it as my own. But if you're going back and you're trying to basically work on your own salvation by by doing acts or fulfilling the law in your own in your own way, then you've kind of missed the point altogether. And I think that this shows itself in the church in a lot of different ways where we feel like we have to do good things to earn God's favor with us or we have to do good things um, to put ourselves in right standing before God, and that's not why Jesus came either. So, again, this is really freeing for me as someone who feels like I kind of have to tick off all the boxes or make sure I'm, I'm fully encompassing all that is expected of me. And Jesus basically says, like, hey, this is no longer an expectation for you to do. This is no longer required for you to obtain right standing with me. I've done that for you. Maybe another good takeaway question for you to think about with with the law um, might be what what am I trying to prove or who am I trying to prove something to? Am I trying to prove something to myself by doing these good deeds or holding myself to the standard? Am I trying to impress someone else or um, show someone else that I'm worthy? And then again, invite God into that with you because I think he will have something very different to say that you are not made worthy by the good things that you do in your life, but you are solely made worthy by the blood and righteousness of Jesus. And then the last place that Paul talks to the Galatians specifically is in Galatians chapter 3. I'm not going to read that for the sake of time today, um, but I, I do want to read one more passage of scripture, and I think it really ties these well together because sin and the law are so often referenced or thought about together in scripture. Um, for the sake of the podcast today, I've separated them into two different camps just because I think for application's sake that that's more how we tend to live our lives, the sin or we fall into being a slave to the law. And so this passage in Acts, I think it just really shows a really good correlation between the two, which I think is helpful for us. So this is Acts 13, 38 through 39. And Paul and um, Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and they have been talking with the Jewish people about Jesus. And in verse 38 and 39, they say this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who, who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So Paul is saying Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and free us from the law of Moses. So freedom in Christ really does look like no longer being bound to the control of sin in our lives and no longer being bound to the control of the law in our lives too. So in the message version, verses 38 and 39 go something like this. I want you to know, my very dear friends, 
that this is on account of the resurrected Jesus, that the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. He accomplishes in those who believe everything that the law of Moses could never make good on. But everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. So what is freedom in Christ? Freedom in Christ is being able to stand before God and being able to acknowledge to yourself that you are no longer defined by your sin and you are no longer held to its control in your life and you're no longer defined by what you do or the good deeds that you can rack up in your life so that you're no longer a slave to the law. So I hope that that is helpful for you today, friends. Um, Kind of a maybe backwards or an upside down approach to talking about this by talking about what it's not. But yeah, I just want to reiterate and remind you that it's a process. And so wherever you are in your journey as a Christian, as you wrestle with these things, I applaud you for wrestling with it because uh, the journey and the process is beautiful. And it's what makes the Christian life both challenging and rewarding. And I would love just to hear how you're wrestling through this in your own life. And if you have other thoughts on freedom in Christ and what you think that means, the implications for other Christians in your life, I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to email me or direct message me and share more of your thoughts and your questions and allow this to be more of a conversation between us. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Mountains and Mustard Seeds podcast. For more information, to suggest a topic for the podcast, or to ask Erica a question, please email podcast at mountainsandmustardseeds.faith or visit the website mountainsandmustardseeds.faith.